So as a result, our EBIT, you know, margins, our contribution margins are significantly higher than the rest of the industry because we fully optimize for remote. Um, and that, um, I think replaces, uh, whatever investment you've got to make for the couple times a year you're doing in-person stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Shift by Orchestration. Today I'm here with Brian Sampson, who is the founder and CEO of Nearshore Directs, Plug Technologies, and uh, as we were just talking about, multiple other companies. Uh, this man has an extensive resume, across startups and businesses and uh, venture investments and a whole host of things. And uh, originally got it started in remote work by moving to Argentina while also running a startup. Uh, and then after that, went on to found several more companies with some exits along the way. And today he runs a group of outsourcing and nearshoring companies. And he also has a podcast about outsourcing and nearshoring. Um, He's your guy for all things nearshoring, outsourcing, and he also lives in Hawaii, and he is pretty dope. How's that for uh, for an intro? <laughs> well, wow, what a what an that's that that might be the best intro I've ever had. Uh, thanks, Andrew. Uh, really, really great. Awesome. To be I'll take it. Uh, well, I wanted to kick things off by uh, uh, digging into Argentina and what happened uh, back in your Argentina days, uh, which I think is pretty incredible that, first of all, the, the first time you went uh, fully remote uh, was also at the time that you were building a growing startup uh, and you chose to, to make that move while also physically moving yourself uh, to the other hemisphere uh, into Argentina. Uh, what is the story with that man? Why did you make the move? What happened? What you know, prompted this entire endeavor? And, and yeah, tell us more about that story. Yeah, uh, thanks for asking. Um, yeah, kind of wild. So back in uh, 2012, um, I took a solo backpacker trip and um, uh, ended up in Peru, Argentina, Uruguay, um, and uh, was just kind of bouncing around, uh, also Chile. And um, so my first experience to Argentina was like the 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 scrappy you know staying in yeah. hostels <laughs> yeah know, yeah eating cheap backpacker food, Argentina you know kind of this <laughs> yeah but I kind of remembered it like ah oh, like that was that was a pretty fun place to be like there was um and the way I would always describe it to people who'd never been was it was like the most first world of the third world countries mm. or the most third world of the first okay. world countries um you know it looks like a dated Paris you know like beautiful buildings and facades and incredible quality of life and food and culture and tree-lined streets, but like a disaster of an economy and a government, mm. which, which holds it back. So fast forward to uh, 2015. Um, so I had just done a run of a couple um, uh, opportunities where I was like a VP of talent for some growth stage startups. And I was in San Francisco and, um, you know, some went great, some didn't, you know, that's, that's kind of how it goes in the startup world. And I had, um, uh, I actually, believe it or not, was putting all my focus on Asia and mm. Singapore. I uh, got accepted to an MBA program that I enrolled in. Um, and graduated from. It was with uh, UCLA and then National University of Singapore and US. 
Um, so it's like a joint program. You get two degrees. Yeah. NUS is pretty prestigious too. That's, that's quite a good university. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's like the number one university in Asia, but nobody in the States, you know. Yeah. 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 I found that NUS, out after going out to Asia out. and people are like, oh, NUS. What? What is that? But no, yeah, that's, that's impressive. That's quite impressive. Um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, so I ended up um, in 2015 uh, um, starting that, mm-hmm. um, that journey, you know, um, got the cohort uh, kicked off. And th- like a big driver for that, for me going to NUS, was I wanted to be an expat in Asia, specifically mm-hmm. Singapore. So I spent a few months and like I was trying to, you know, drum up Skype conversations with random people in Singapore and like hunt for jobs, you know, trying to parlay my San Francisco experience. And it was really hard. It was <laughs> yeah. really hard to, to um so I'm a few months in and you know, I'm married, um uh my wife and I don't have any kids yet. And I um you know, we, we started to talk like, is it Singapore that we wanted or do we want an expat experience? Mm. And I think we kind of settled like, you know, actually we, we want an expat experience. Um, and, and then at that, uh, kind of in parallel. So I'm like, uh, wrapping up with this tech startup that just got acquired in San Francisco. Um, I'm in this MBA program in Asia, Singapore, um, where I'm kind of going back and forth. And then I also um, started to um, get this like bug. Maybe I could just do this being a founder. So um, I ended up uh, connecting with this investor. I found a co-founder. And I had worked at a company called Lending Club in San Francisco, Mm -hmm. which was like the fintech company 10 years ago. It's not quite as prestigious anymore, you know, due to a variety of things. but it IPO'd in 2014 at a 10 billion valuation. We thought fintech was like the thing. So what if we could follow this trend and build platforms for fintech companies? Okay. So we decided to um, uh, to build this business. Got some capital from the investor. My co-founder stayed in San Francisco. He had a family. But my wife and I were kind of eager to, you know, <laughs> yep, get yep. out. So we started to look around, like, you know what? Where, um, where should we put our our dev team? Because we're gonna need a lot of software engineers to build these platforms. Uh, it was all like a work for hire services type setup. Um, we're thinking, you know, could I still do Asia? You know, maybe Taiwan sounded kind of interesting. There's a lot of engineering talent. Um, you know what? What about Latin America? And um, you know, I had been there a couple of years ago as a backpacker. I think Argentina is kind of interesting. Oh, the investor actually knew knew some people in a place called Tandil, mm. which is four hours outside of Buenos Aires. There's a technical university. Um, so short story long, um, we closed that investment. We kickstarted the company my co-founder stayed in san francisco and i was the guy that moved to buenos aires argentina with my wife in tow and uh we um we spent 
2016, basically living there. Um, we uh, like went all in, you know, we're like going grocery stores and living in apartments and taking the subway and taxis. And um, it was awesome. And there, there's a lot more to go from there, but that's, that's how oh, it all man, got started. That's, I have so many questions about the business side of things, but, uh, but I've got, I got a few more from you on the personal side first, because that's fascinating. You went at, at the inception of the business. So it was, it wasn't like, Oh, we've got a team of 10 or 20 or 50, you know, or a hundred people. Oh, I'm going to make this move. It was like from the beginning, you kind of knew that that was the direction you wanted to take things. So you built it into the structure I'd imagine from day one. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, it's kind of interesting. So we, we like officially kicked it off kind of like January, February, 2016, um, you know, raise capital, like all this stuff is kind of the like, December 2015, January, February, we're kind of getting everything organized. Um, now for grad, I was in the grad school program and I was actually um, just finishing up that. Um, so the program was kind of cool. It's like an executive MBA. You're mm -hmm. spending two weeks at a time in various places. Then you go back to your family and your company for a few months. Then you go back with your cohort. So you're kind of doing like remote education and then two weeks of intense, right? So I just so happened to be spending February of that year in India hmm. uh, with my cohort with for the MBA program. So I'm in India and, you know, I'm in uh, Bangalore and Delhi is where like we had that, um, that program, that segment. And I'm sitting there, you know, um, I think I want to be there. Like, I want to be on the ground. So my wife and I had originally thought about being like on the road for the full year. And we were just going to bounce around like Vietnam and Japan and all over the place. Um, and I'm like, you know what? I'm putting my name on this thing. Like I want to be there. So um, originally I was thinking like maybe I'd pop in Argentina once or twice for the year and just make sure like, Things are, are good. You know what? I needed to be in the thick of this. So um, I like convinced her, okay, we got to change our plan. So, you know, like right, right as the segment was ending, we like totally changed our flights, our itinerary. Like we were probably going to go to Bali or yeah. something next, but let's hold, hold off on Bali. And, um, Instead, we're going to go to the other side of the world and go to Buenos Aires. Um, so we, um, uh, so when I got there, um, it was we're at zero, like basically day zero. So I spent the first month um, hiring um, a recruiter, um, hiring a general manager, and then we hired a CTO. Um, we got a little co-working space, um, and we were, um, this, a uh, cool co-working spot. Um, you know, when you think about like other countries, sometimes you're thinking like, you know, it must be some, like, do they have electricity and, you know, like, you, you know, you know how, how sometimes like America, yeah, yeah. especially you know south that. of the and, border when you're, um, when you're used but, to the American way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But Argentina has a potable water, you know, you're not like oh my God, I need to get bottled water. I'm going to die. You know, it's, um, uh, infrastructure is great. There's tree lined streets. And we found this 
awesome little co-work spot called La Macanita, which was also kind of a startup in itself. Mm-hmm. And co-working was just starting to come. But it, it looked like any cool office I ever worked at in San Francisco. You know, um, it looked just like it. Um, the only difference is, you know, happy hour was very Argentine style, you know, so there's, um, uh, Kielness, which is the Argentine beer. And there's like lots of salami and cheese, which is a big mm. part of their culture and steak and asada. That sounds great, man. Um, <laughs> Take me there. That sounds amazing. Yeah. yeah. We got to see all these, uh, cool little startups kind of burgeoning, but they were domestic, mm-hmm. you know, they were Argentine startups, you know, getting off the ground, um, but we would, um, the, the, the few of us working there, we just had this little table and we kind of got the early workings of the business off the ground. And, you know, meanwhile, I'm, uh, you know, coordinating with San Francisco, with our investor who's overseas and um, getting, getting a lot of the foundation set up because we knew this would be a remote thing later so we had mm-hmm. to get all the all the inner workings of the foundation set up yeah. properly. How was how was that when you when you went out there? Because basically you went out there like while going into hardcore startup mode. How how did you balance that with your personal life? Was, or was that even a thing? Because I, I I tend to like personally when I'm traveling, sometimes I'll go places with an intention to really focus on work, and I go there and I'll just like go into my zone and work crazy hours for like a month and then after that i'll be like all right time to go take a break and then i'll go somewhere where i can you know hang out and go to some parties or whatever and then sometimes i'll go somewhere being like i need to relax i've been working hard for six months you know i'm gonna go and just kind of hang out on the beach go surfing go rock climbing whatever and then i'll do that for like a month or two but I, but i go to places with that intention and then i sort of find myself getting pulled into a lifestyle. So how, how was that when you got out to Argentina? Because you had startup on your mind, you're building the team, like were you able to do stuff personally too or was it all business? Yeah, so um, thankfully I'm, I'm married to an amazing woman. And um, so she did, um, she did something great, which she didn't put all this pressure on me. Like, you know, when are you coming home tonight? When are you coming home tonight? Um, so she, she knew that. She was actually quite independent. Um, she found a Spanish school that she would go to during the days. Uh, she found the gym. You know, she made friends. She's kind of out there having nice. lunch and stuff. Uh, um, and dinner isn't really served there until at the earliest, like eight p.m. Like if you were, if you're a hungry tourist at seven p.m., there's not even any restaurants <laughs> open. So. 8 p.m., 9 p.m. is when things start to come back alive. It's not like it's a siesta city. It's like a jam-packed metropolis with 14 million people, Buenos Aires is. But um, the steakhouses and the pasta places, which is what it's really known for, they're not open till, until 9 o'clock. Um, so uh, I would usually kind of wrap up the day around 7.30, 8 o'clock at night, um, walk back to the apartment, and then... Um, we, um, we, so we had a real apartment, but we never cooked a single meal. <laughs> yeah, one of those. The entire, yeah, yep, yep. Yep. Been there a few times. You know, uh, the food, yeah, food was fantastic. And then, um, I never really worked weekends. Um, uh, just, you know, busy Monday through Friday. And then, you know, uh, at nine o'clock we're at a nice restaurant we had so much steak, Andrew. We had so much steak. I like insane. Um, 
every meal. It's a, like a bottle of some of the best Malbec you could ever have, um, a juicy steak. Uh, in Argentina, they call the ribeye um, ojo de bife. And I would have my ojo de bifes and my wife would have entraña, which is like a thinner kind of flank steak. And um, you don't really order vegetables there. They don't really have them. You know, it's like <laughs> if you want a vegetable, they give you chicken. <laughs> right. And um, and then we would have dessert. And like every night it was probably a $35 dinner bill. Um, and uh, we just really look forward to it. And on the weekends, uh, we would explore, go all around the city. It's it's like New York City. There's always something to do. There's parks and museums and culture. Um, and we also traveled around. So we got to go to Mendoza, which is, you know, wine country. Um, if you've ever ordered Malbec in the States, you it's probably came probably came from Mendoza. Hmm. Um, we went to Patagonia, um, you know, on the glaciers and um, and, you know, I'd been to Tandil, which is uh, famous for salami, like world famous for salami. Um, so we definitely got, got a chance to get around. Now, if I did that at this stage of my life with kids, it might have been a different uh, experience. <laughs> yeah. But we were oh, child, yeah. <laughs> had a very independent uh, uh, wife who um, was also very adventure seeking like she wanted to get out there herself which oh, is great. Man, I, I love that. it sounds like you had an incredible time personally with the business and um it, it's almost uh because i've like while traveling if you know had been traveling with girlfriends and, and then dating and, and different things i'm not married yet no kids yet but um uh, i find sometimes it's nice when you can sort of leverage your partner's strengths you know they're social they're hanging out and it's oh well, you get some friends by association which is kind of nice <laughs> and so it, it lends itself well yeah. to like a, a full life when you can sort of work together like that which i think is awesome um but i i want to shift gears totally. a bit and 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 talk talk business talk what was going on startup wise and uh, i think some of your uh expert opinions about what it means to run a company remotely and working with remote talent and you know, you've done this more than once now at this point. So I think you have a very informed opinion here. Um, and I wanted to start by sort of talking about what you like to do in terms of managing remote teams. So when you put on your manager hats and you say, oh, well, you know, now I've got first one, then two, then five, then 50, then 100. When you've got all these people and you're not physically together in the same space. Um, how do you think about that? And like, first of all, What's your, what's your overall philosophy yeah. behind, you know, how to do that well? Yeah. So first I'll, I'll do the caveat. Um, I think it's always a work in progress. Um, I'm always trying to learn how to do this, this better. Um, I can confidently say I'm much better than I am at it today than I was eight years ago. Um, now, I think there's a couple things that make nearshoring unique. Um, but also kind of helped make this successful. With, um, with LATAM talent, but um, Argentina specifically, this is a, a population, as I mentioned at the outside of the show, um, their government and the financial situation has just constantly screwed mm -hmm. them over. And like they're always in flux. And inflation is a disaster. So, um, they don't trust institutions. They don't trust government. 
imagine, Andrew, you've got $10,000 in your bank account, and then the very next day, it's only worth a thousand and you're not allowed to withdraw it. Um, welcome to Argentina, right? That's, that's what they're dealing with all the time. Um, if you're trying to exchange into us dollars, there's like the rate on the street and there's the rate that the newspaper publishes and they're like completely different. Right. Um, so what does this mean? It means that this population is extremely gritty they persevere, they're resilient, and they're also really creative and clever. Um, like stuff that would freak just about anybody I know out in the States is like a Tuesday <laughs> for them. Like, no big deal. You know, let's like figure out a way around this thing. So I had that to my advantage. You know, um, now I've, I've outsourced to Asia as well, and like I'll, I'll never speak anything bad. Um, but I'll say that like the level of autonomy and instruction that I would give to somebody in Asia is wildly more detailed than something I would need to give to somebody in Argentina. Um, I would need to give lots of like detailed instructions and like kind of scenarios like if then, and you know, um, uh, and in Argentina it can be much more like broad goal oriented and they can figure this stuff out. In fact, they're probably better problem solvers than I am, right? So you just have to, um, and you also have to kind of recognize that it's not that hierarchical. Um, the relationships really matter. Um, you know, you're sharing like mate around <laughs> the office. Um, when you, uh, when somebody comes into the office, you, they kiss everyone in the, in the whole company on the cheek, right? Um, it's like a very communal, mm -hmm. um, collaborative, um, culture and they're not afraid to ask like, why, like, why are you doing it this way? Um, they're very interested in the why they don't just want to like, just do it this way and leave me alone. Right. Like they, they really want to, um, they really want to understand the root, the root part of it. So that's a long winded answer to say, um, I had to like adapt to make sure that, um, it's probably not that much different from working with a team in San Francisco, to hmm. be honest with you, like kind of give them the goal, hire a really smart, creative, clever person and let them cook. Right. So, um, so we set up, um, at the time I didn't even know that I was using a lot of these things. Um, but there's something called, called EOS. Oh, I didn't know you were, I love system. EOS. I've run all my businesses on, on EOS. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't even know you were running that. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, so I didn't implement it, um, uh, for the first four years cause I didn't even know what it was, but I was, uh, I guess inherently like using a lot of the principles, like weekly staff yep. meeting, weekly, um, weekly win, weekly headlines, like, be vulnerable. What are all the issues? Let's kind of put them out there. And I have never even like heard of EOS or red traction or anything yet. Um, and then, um, you know, years later, um, like now I am, I'm a self influencer, but, um, you know, I've, um, like watched all the videos, read all mm -hmm. the books, you know, and, um, and that's what we're doing today. So like we have these key outcomes, a weekly staff meeting every Wednesday. Everybody, you know, writes their wins, their headlines, uh, good, bad, ugly. We spend the other, like, second half of the meetings doing issue processing, which I, I, th I think is 
really, really great with teams in Latin America because they, um, um, you hear like some really interesting perspectives on how to solve stuff like slice and dice and attack. Um, and uh, um, we, for the software, we use something called Monday.com. Yeah. You know, there's Asana and all these other tools out there. Um, but, you know, Monday, you can see when people uh, read uh, read the update, you can tag people, they get emails, you can add docs, you can um, see progress completion on certain tasks. Um, so we write our key outcomes in Monday. And then we also write like our status reports in Monday. Nice. So like every uh, thread, you know, like you can see everybody kind of throw their stuff on there, you know, Wednesday morning before the staff meeting. And um, uh, that also allows me to kind of give them some space. So I'm not like on them every day, you know, like we kind of see where we are. Are we tracking towards And it's goals? all recorded in Monday you too. Hire so you can always go in and check. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's it's all recorded, um, uh, so I'll I'll stop talking there. Um, but I think that that's like a key fundamental for for how I um, how I yeah, manage. Yeah, that's game. fantastic. And I'll uh, give some more context for anybody that is listening or watching this that doesn't know what that is. Uh, Traction EOS is this concept. It's a book with like a tire on the front of it. If you want to go check out the book, which is a great primer on the concept, and it's by this guy Gino Wickman, and it's it's essentially. EOS stands for the Entrepreneurial Operating System. So it's a whole set of uh, processes and instructions for uh, how to manage and run a business. And uh, it works very well um, for, I think, a lot of different types of businesses. And it's it's a great format that uh, I think a lot of management teams can use and, and reap the benefits from. Um, it's similar in its own way to like a OKR system, which I think is like Google system uh, or like a generic KPI system that you could, you know, find in different forms at other companies. It's like a version of that. Um, but the way that they built it is very uh, practical and very actionable. So um, I've, I've used this for multiple companies and I find it to be fantastic. So if you want to check that out, that sounds interesting. Go check that out. Um, yeah. And, and one more point on that. You mentioned the staff meeting is on Wednesday. Is that intentional to put that in the middle of the week so it doesn't come on like a Monday? Yeah, I thought I thought hard about that. Um, I think I've always been a Wednesday guy. This this even stems from um, I started my career as a staffing agency recruiter, mm. and um, meetings were always a Wednesday. And I thought like I wonder why that is. And um, I think it kind of allows like for people to settle in for the week. It's not at the end of the week. You can still you still have time to address stuff. Um, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a Wednesday meeting. Nice. Kind of guy. Nice. Yeah. I think, um, I I'm going forward like my business now and future businesses. I think I'm going to be a Tuesday, Wednesday weekly meeting kind of guy from now on. I, yeah. my last company, we ran Monday meetings and then first thing on Monday and then Friday at the end of the day, we do like a no agenda sort of chill yeah. meeting just to, uh, decompress and, and, and yeah. catch up with the team for the weekend. Um, but yeah, Monday is always a lot of pressure when like, you come in and it's like, especially if it's first thing in the morning, I think it's that, that's a great mechanism just to like force you to, you know, when you're remote, especially to like get on, you know, get your mind moving, get some updates out, you know, speak with everybody on the team, um, uh, which, which I find valuable, you know, of course, leading by example, when I'm like, it's Monday morning, like you don't always want to jump in and work right away. Like anybody who says that is, you know, 
maybe sometimes they like that, but, <laughs> but I think everybody gets that on Monday. So, um, uh, so I find that valuable, but yeah, totally. but it is a lot of cognitive just load to first thing uh, in the week. So, um, uh, yeah, it's interesting that, that that worked well for you guys. Cause I'm thinking about doing the same for, for myself. Um, want to switch gears a little bit and talk about productivity. Uh, do you have any tips for ensuring that your team is productive, that everybody's productive, like speaking of, you know, getting everyone going on a Monday, um, when you're leading your team, especially as a leader and, you know, you're looking at, I'm sure at times anybody that's in a, a leadership position has had occasions where you look at your team and some people are killing it. Other people you're like, what were they really working on? Or, you know, they're not really present. Like what's happening? Like, so how do you think about making sure that the team is productive? And I think connected to that by extension, also happy uh, generally while, while getting stuff done as well. Uh, how do you think about that? Yeah, great question. Um, I think there's a couple different threads that I might pull on here. Um, uh, number one, I think the relationships matter full stop, right? Like mm -hmm. people don't, I, I, I'm going to screw up the, the phrase, but like people don't care until they know you care, something like that. Um, so, um, so I, I really invest time, like understanding their name of their dogs and their kids and like what activities they like to do. And I think that that stuff goes a long way. Um, uh, the second is, um, especially in this world where it is a lot more results oriented. Um, I try to give people some space. Um, but I think the most important part um, that I'm still trying to get better at as well is um, give people a chance to develop. Um, and the way that they, they develop is you give them opportunity to um, make recommendations, make suggestions, like they, mm. they bring up an issue. Um, so for example, um, it could be, you know, something that, that sounds kind of simple and like intuitively uh, or I'll say like my personality um, I am very comfortable making decisions like I'll decide I'll make a thousand decisions a day you know and um, I probably make a lot of bad decisions but <laughs> I, I've never won any I've never won anyone would say is indecisive right? Just the opposite. Like I'm very decisive, very comfortable making decisions. So if somebody brings a problem to me, like almost instantly, like, okay, let's just, let's just do this. Right. Um, but what I'm trying to grow at myself, and I think this is good for my team too, is flipping it back. Like, so what would you recommend we do? Um, and I know this is like, you know, the woman, a manager kind of stuff. It sounds so basic, but, um, uh, but when you're trying to move fast and like you're good at making decisions, you make decisions easily. It's so easy to just say, okay, cool. Like do this one. Let, let's talk about it next week. See how, how it's going. Um, by not doing that and giving people a chance to make their own decisions and then ask them like, well, what is it like? What does good look like? Like if you make the right decision, what does that outcome look like? How are you going to get there? So they're, you're kind of pushing them back to come up with a plan, um, come up with a success metric. Um, and then now they're invested in it. It's theirs. They're committing to it. 
Um, and I think that that does good things for productivity. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. It's, it's, that's definitely a, a metamorphosis that, that I had to go through as, as a manager and leader as well. Uh, at some point, you know, I'm also very comfortable making decisions. And at a certain point, you know, you got to let people make their own decisions, even if you don't necessarily agree with it. And especially for somebody that's trying to figure yeah. things out or is more new on the team, because that's how they learn. Um, and, and I've also had times where, you know, sometimes, and I learned along the way that, that sometimes, uh, even if you can make a decision and even if it will lead to a good outcome, it's not a decision that is your uh, thing to make. And it's better that you don't even try to make that decision because you could, you could say, all right, this is the solution. Go do this. And that person can, can run off and, and, and they're going to screw up your vision for, for how you're going to solve that problem. Cause in their mind, you know, they don't, they don't even believe it. They have a whole different idea. And that's, I think, just part of like leveraging everybody's strengths and, and having people you know, ultimately get to a good outcome, uh, regardless of like what you as an individual want to happen, uh, which I think is very, very important. Totally. Um, it, so flipping it around, though, to um, uh, to yourself, sort of away from the team when it comes to productivity. I know you said you've got kids now. Um, you've got a bit of a different lifestyle. So I'm sure that probably pulls your attention at times, especially when you're working from home. Um, how do you think about productivity for yourself, especially when you're, you know, you're running a few companies, got a lot going on? What do you uh what do you try to do to stay productive yeah yeah um well I'll, I'll i'll preface this um i think my personality is um i've got broad interests so like i kind of know like a little bit about a lot um and uh um kind of like jump in only when i really need to otherwise i try to do more bigger picture stuff. Um, that's certainly a different answer eight years ago, 10 years ago. But, um, but today, you know, I'm looking for leverage mm. all the time. Like, how can I get leverage? Um, because the opportunity cost is high. You know, it's time with my wife. It's time with mm. my kids. Um, and so I'm trying to balance how do I build multiple successful companies in parallel with having a great quality of life. So, um, so I think about, um, am I focused on things that have big impact? And if the answer is no, should I, should I be working on this thing? Right. You know, should I be spending my time on that? And gosh, you know, these are things like you could read in any management <laughs> book and of course it make that like, duh, you know, but, um, you, you kind of have to go through the, the fire before it really sinks in and that's that's kind of the case with with everybody um but i also believe heavily in self-education um so um you know i mentioned the mba earlier um you know paid for that out of uh like a stock option success nice. uh story um and uh um but even today like i'm spending thousands and thousands of dollars every single year on things that deal with, uh, business, personal finance, whatever, um, uh, um, groups, you know, um, uh, alumni groups like CEO forums, you know, all sorts of stuff to just make me better, you know, further. I read a lot. Um, so I think because of that, like, I'm so what I, I guess maybe what I'm trying to say, Andrew is I've got my family, I've got my businesses and I've got my self-education. So I try to touch on all three of those each week. Hmm. Um, if I only did one, you know, the other two would suffer. So that's really 
to me, uh, a high product, uh, a week that was highly productive means that all three of those um, got uh, yeah. plenty of attention. Yeah, that's a fair point. And, and I think that touches on a couple of things. Um, one, that when you're working remotely, it, it's about, you know, one of the big benefits is flexibility and creating the life that you want to live, which, you know, those of us that were working remote prior to 2020, usually we're remote for that reason. So, you know, you want to travel, see the world, you want to spend more time with your family or what, you know, you want to live somewhere that's not where the office is. Like, that's why you do it because of, you know, it's not necessarily just for the work. It's because of life. Um, so I think that's a, you know, a big theme that comes out in terms of, you know, what you get out of remote work. Um, and the other thing, I love what you said about education, um, because, um, I, I've had a similar thing, uh, for a while now as well. And I heard something when I was in college, somebody uh, that I respected and thought was very intelligent said, uh, I, I don't remember who it was, but I heard this somewhere. And, and, and this guy said, uh, if you ever hear somebody that you respect mention a book specifically by name, buy that book. And I was like, what? That's a good point. Yeah. And after that, I was kind of, I had it in the back of my head. And then, you know, I would talk to, and at the time I was doing a lot with like startups and kind of getting into business and I would, I would meet somebody or I would hear somebody on a podcast or an interview that I, I thought was this like incredible person. And they would specifically name drop one book in like an hour long conversation. And I'd be like, yeah. that's important. I'd write it down and go buy it. And I think th those kinds of things where you just like continually build on your own knowledge is super important. Um, to, to build like, and manage it yourself. Um, I want to check real quick because I realize yeah. uh, we're spending uh, uh, quite some time recording. Um, I think the hour is coming up. Do you have to stop at the hour or do you have a little bit of time? Uh, I think I've got like about five, 10 minutes and I'll Okay, cool. Then I'll hit on a couple. There's a lot that I want to talk about, but I'll hit on a couple of the top points um, and then let you go. Um, in terms of tech software, Want to hit me with uh, a quick highlight reel? I believe you mentioned the use Monday for project management. Um, and I, I was speaking to someone uh, that's on your team, Grace, uh, a little bit earlier. And she mentioned you use uh, Clockify for like, time tracking and, and deal for compliance as, a, as an employer of record in certain countries. Um, are there other, uh, you know, across software and hardware, uh, are there other tools that you like to use you recommend? Yeah, sure. Um, so when it comes to payments, um, that's something I've spent a lot of time on. Um, so, uh, you know, in the very, very beginning, I think I was even using like Western Union <laughs> online and then, you know, yeah. kind of leveled up to then, uh, now, now deal, deal works quite, quite well. Um, and then, uh, uh, money.com is like kind of my, um, my big dashboard. Like that's where I try to spend most of the time in. Um, so a key part of Monday is, um, I realized like there might be a, a million tools out there and they each have like one specific thing. I personally would rather have just a couple tools that are good at a lot of stuff than like 50 tools that are excellent at their particular thing. Um, Google apps, of course, you know, Google calendar, Google docs, you know, for all that stuff. Um, but even Monday, like I'll, we'll, we'll try to use Google. Um, we'll, we'll try to um, do a lot of the updates and the work. If it could be done in Monday, we'll try to, you know, do Monday first. And Monday's also a mobile app. Like it's, it's quite easy. Uh, WhatsApp is a must have for yes. international teams. Yes. You know, there's a lot of communication. Uh, um, we used Skype years ago and uh, even the Skype chat uh, worked fine. Um, my team actually drove the switch over to Slack. 
I'm kind of <laughs> meh on Slack, but if my team, okay, okay, whatever, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, Slack, I think can easily just become like uh, a place for memes, you know, like, you know, are we, are we doing real work here on this thing or here or not? Um, we use uh, something called um, Hub Staff for mm. uh, time yep. tracking uh, for all of like contract billing. Uh, and then we also um, use uh, various sales tools like HubSpot yep. uh, for email automation, Apollo for you know generating uh, leads and contact details, SalesQL for scrapers, uh, LinkedIn, SalesNav, LinkedIn Recruiter. Um, so yeah, I, I guess there's, there's a few things gotcha. that we use. Yeah. And I, I was going to ask about your revenue operations, sales marketing as a remote company, but I think some of those tools answered a bit of those questions. If, uh, for those that know a bit about sales and marketing, uh, that, that are listening to this. So, um, no, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing the tools and I'll hit you with one more, uh, uh one more thing, which is, uh, the financials of running a remote company. So I'm wondering, uh, you know, two things, one on, uh, on, on the expense side, you know, are there, what are the hidden costs of, of running a remote team? Things that you don't necessarily think about, but you got to watch out for. Yeah. Well, I will say, um, I'm very, very bullish on remote. I think it can absolutely be done well, but there's still no, um, replacement for, spending a few hours together spending a few days together every I'll once take, in a while um, okay <laughs> uh, yeah yeah uh, yeah this is somebody that's been doing this for years i live in hawaii um it's far away from it's i think it's the most isolated population center in the world it's far away from everything um but um you know a couple days together um replaces a couple months together remotely so I'm not a believer in 100% all the time remote. I think it's, I think you get it. You got to invest a couple of times, um, a year, every, every couple of years in this face to face, these face to face relationships. Um, financially though, you know, our overhead has always been really, really low comparatively. Um, so our, um, EBIT, uh, I, I like EBIT instead of EBITDA because there's really not a whole lot of stuff to amortize and mm -hmm. appreciate. Um, so as a result, our EBIT, you know, margins, our contribution margins are significantly higher than the rest of the industry because we fully optimize for remote. Um, and that, um, I think, replaces uh, whatever investment you've got to make for the couple times a year you're doing in-person stuff. Yep. Yep, I think that's 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 the trade-off that uh, I think a lot of us that are on the other side of the movement that are bought in are, are basically seeing. Yeah, okay, I love it. Um, quick rapid fire, favorite part of working remotely? Favorite part of working remotely? Might have changed over um, the years, but, but maybe. Flex <laughs> yeah, and it's always been flexibility. Uh, I know this is rapid fire, but I'll, I'll say this. Um, I think I, I knew I wanted to be remote even in my 20s because I was working at these companies where like some days you're super busy and I'd be working till 8 o'clock at night and some days like it's 2.30 in the afternoon like why am I here? <laughs> yep. You know, this is not a busy day. Um, 
And it would just drive me nuts. Like I just had to go through the motions and wait till 5 p.m. so I could like leave at an acceptable time. Um, I think I was always wired this way. So to be able to work in snippets, have flexibility, amazing. And I will, this is always my number one answer, oh, flexibility. Man. Yes, yes, that's it. And I think it's something where, uh, especially as I've dug into the remote industry, if you call it that, like the space more and more, um, it's it's very apparent that, you know, remote is not a new thing, but what we're calling remote today in the last couple of years is now just something that's available to everybody. And like, that's, that's the big revolution is like, yeah, 10, 20 years ago, you had executive that like, you know, earned the privilege to, and they're on the golf course and sometimes they're at home and whatever. And like, so like that was remote work and they set their schedule, but now everybody can do it. And, and that's, I think the biggest thing today which is that now we face this coordination problem where if everybody does that how do you build a business and how do you keep a business running and that's that's a difficult that's right. question which is you know the companies that figure it out are going to have they're going to have much better ebit margins and they're going to be you know out competing the ones that don't because you can get the advantages and the benefits but the ones that you know, can't figure it out might get left behind and that's i think a tough reality of the world we live in today uh man you've been a wonderful guest so far i really enjoyed our conversation any pluggables to plug before uh, before you go? Oh, thanks for asking. Um, a couple of different companies that I'm working on. Um, Nearshore Direct. Uh, this is a staffing agency that places uh, non-IT people from all over Latin America with U.S. companies. That website is gonearshoredirect.com. Uh, gonearshoredirect.com. Um, on the other side of that, I've got Plug Technologies which places software engineers, technical people with small businesses, growing businesses in the U.S. And that's plug, P-L-U-G-G dot tech. And uh, uh, last but not least, uh, we also have a podcast. And if any of this nearshore Latin America stuff was interesting to people, um, we bring um, leaders from LATAM and also leaders from the states that are working with LATAM they just kind of tell their stories like travel, quality of life, Mexico City, mm -hmm. Lima, Santiago, all over, um, food, culture, doing business, leadership. That's called the Nearshore Cafe. Um, and that uh, the website for that podcast is nearshorecafepodcast.com. Awesome. Well, if you want to check out any of those things, if that makes sense, definitely do so. Man, it's been a great conversation. Really enjoyed it. And uh, thank you for your time. Thanks so much, Andrew. This is a blast.